really appreciate uh, Kirk and his family. Um, something that a lot of people don't know, maybe some of you do. Um, police officers' wives bear the burden not only of their children, but they also bear the burdens of their, their husband and all the other things that go along with that. But you know, we don't realize that ranchers, that is a job 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't know that because I went over to the Hammonds to want to have Bible study with them. And I realized if I was going to have a Bible study with them, I'd have to ride in the truck and get in the back and cut the bale and be pitching it out the cattle in sub-zero weather and getting back in the truck where we're both freezing and I'm telling them about Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, we'd sit around the dinner table and eat and we were both so exhausted that we'd get to sit down in the front room to, to talk about the Lord and we'd both go so, you know, I, I so appreciate Kirk and, and his love to Brian. And no, I love the way you heard your kids. I mean, you're awesome. <laughs> it's great. And so I, I want you to bring this man up. He's preached here before. He does a great job. You know what? This is not a cliche. He really is a straight shooter. Man, he's going to come at you with both guns blazing, and they're going to be great. So let's bring it on. Kirk Heinbaugh. <laughs> I asked Kirk to stay right near the podium tonight to do his preaching. He said he would try to do that to the best of his ability. <laughs> um, good evening. Before I start, uh, I'd like to ask uh, Levi to Paul to come up and read scripture. So, script will be Hebrews 6. I want to turn there. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 9. <clears throat> but beloved, we are convinced, uh, convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to for forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to re realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having, patient, have, having patiently awaited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than himself, um, himself, themselves, and with them an oath given as con confirmation is, is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise uh, the unchangeableness of his purpose, and interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Uh, 
where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Then I'd uh, also like to ask uh, Andrew Sauer to come and say a prayer for the message, please. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we thank you that we are able to gather here tonight uh, to to uh, grow in your in your truth and your uh, message for us. The the hope that we have is so encouraging, Lord. Help us to continue to be uh, reminded of it throughout the year, and not just uh, on the on the weekends that we gather together. But help us to carry it over into our lives. Thank you for all the people that have spoken so far to us to. To remind us of this thing, to help uh, um, her here tonight to uh, finish strong, speak through him, Lord, as, um, as you often do, and help him to uh, just uh, be encouraged by us, but in the same way, encourage us, and encourage us tonight. Um, thank you for being that anchor, that anchor of hope. Thank you for the power of hope that you give us, Lord, and, and, I, and I, uh, I'm just so grateful for that, and I know that we all here are, so... In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I, when I got the, the text of what I was uh, supposed to preach about, I, some of the thoughts as I was kind of thinking and reading through it, I was like, well, what could I bring to this passage? What, what could I offer? And I'm 32 years old. Like, you know, wouldn't it seem fit to have a guy who is more advanced in years as a Christian to be able to go through, uh, he's been through some more things or, or can understand, uh, um, have, have a better grasp and can relay the hope that, uh, that we have because of some of the trials and tribulations that, that he's been through. And, um, and I was thinking about that and, and as I do with every message that I prepare, I get it, and I'm off feeding in the tractor, and I'm thinking about what I'm doing. Um, and I thought, well, because there's, there's going to be an opportunity for me to share something I haven't ever shared before. Um, and, and I've shared with some people privately, uh, but I haven't ever preached about it. And so, in some ways, that I, as I was thinking, maybe, maybe I am the right one for the job tonight. And so I hope that uh, I hope it comes through really clear. Um, uh, I'm doing my best to come through really clear. Uh, so Hebrews chapter six. Um, so I'm just read verse nine again here. It says, "And beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way." So I think one thing that I want to do here. Uh, even though there's been a lot of messages which have, have been good throughout the, the weekend that have, have really set up my message well uh, to, I don't have to go and talk a lot about a few other things. I'm going to hit my, my main points are going to be different than it's been hit all week. I think by, by noticing in verse 9, I think we're, we need to take a step back and say, well, why is the writer of Hebrews saying this? What is he saying we are convinced of better things? Of what, what better things? Better than what? And, and uh, even though they're speak, he's speaking in this way. Well, if we go back to the first verse and some of the context, and even you can go back a little further, um, but we'll start in chapter 6, verse 1. 
Um, it says, therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about immersion, laying on our hands and the resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. And this we do, we shall do if God permits. Now, why I read that there is that, that uh, there is, uh, verse 3 is important. It is important to, to, pe to preach about elementary teachings to the Red Crop. Now, we're not going to continue, we're not going to grow in Christ if, that, if the elementary teachings are just continued to preach week after week after week. Uh, and, and the reason that I, I know this is that I, I grew up in, in a legalist church of Christ. And, and kind of how that's going, how, how you, you uh, and, and I guess I shouldn't say it wasn't as legal as some of them, but it still was a elementary teaching, you know, make sure you have uh, Mark 16, 16 at the last, the last passage in your sermon, and, you know, anybody who wants to respond to that can come up here and then you know, make sure you do that, or else if you drive home and get in a crash, you're going to gonna go to hell and get eternal judgment. Like, that type of teaching it was, was kind of the basis now, it wasn't like that, that was, there was other teaching incorporated in there, but that was kind of the, the points that they would always hit. Okay? So there's never, never growth there. So if you, let's continue reading there in verse 4. It says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, and having tasted the heavenly gift, and having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and having tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for, to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and, th and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. So we use this passage a lot. We talk about uh, you know, we, we not a lie, I shouldn't say, we, we use it as a warning, and we, and that's the writer of Hebrews, is using it as a warning of, of, that it is possible to fall away. Just one point here, I'm out of the camera lens right here, so I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> so, um, I'm still touching the pulpit even, so, <laughs> anyway. Um, that's what law does, man. Yes. <laughs> so we, we use that and we, it's, it's a warning. But we often think of, of these, those who have fallen away as those who are again going to the bar, or again not assembling with the saints, or, or those who, who are, have slipped back into whatever old manner of life that they had. But the context of the passage is talking about those who probably are in assembly all the time. They're preaching from the Bible, but they're not, they're not preaching anything that goes past the elementary teachings. They're preaching the things comfortable. Now, I think that's important as we're, as we're setting up to realize the, the hope of the soul. And that's the theme I have to mention. I think that the hope is an anchor for the soul. So, so in verse 9, he says they're convinced of better things uh, concerning them that accompany the salvation, even though they're speaking in this way. In verse 10, he says, 
Well, look, I'm way past my, I'm way ahead of my notes. Slow down, Victor. Um, let's turn over to John chapter 5. Now, I was telling Mr. Compton earlier that uh, last year when I came, I was kind of going through uh, something in the Sunday morning class that, that really applied or helped me with my, my topic. And, and I just got through, we're going through John 6 right now in, in uh, the assembly. And uh, so we just kind of got through this. I think it's an important, uh, something that applies to this idea that I want to kind of bring out tonight here. In the end of John chapter 5, verse 39. And it says, uh, you search the scriptures, this is Jesus talking, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Skip down to verse 45. Don't, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, so a point that I brought up when we were uh, going through this in, in Glendive, what's wrong with the scripture? See, Jesus says there, he says that you... You search the scriptures because in them you think there's eternal life. Nothing's wrong with the scripture. But they weren't believing whom the scripture wrote about. They were using the scripture as, as a law. They were using the scripture as, okay, and this isn't, and they're using it differently. Let's apply it to, to our modern day Pharisees, uh, if you will. You believe, you're baptized, you're at assembly, you do the five acts of worship, and you make sure they're all the time, and the trust is in the action, not in what God does through the action. Yep, that's right. <clears throat> Law or legalism, legalism says, tell me what to do. But children, the ch child of God says, tell me what I get to do. See, there's a difference in that. See, see, if we're just always well, telling what to do, I can do this or do it, don't do that, and we're always looking for something that that uh, that the guidelines. So I really don't have to think. I can just kind of go through and I make sure I don't do this, I don't touch that. And Colossians two, and I won't go there. It, 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 and on even the topic of uh, of like something as little as whether you use an instrument or not. I've seen Church of Christ guys use verse twenty one through twenty three. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But if they read the verse before. Paul says, why do you submit yourself to those things? Yeah. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They take it way out of context, and they're looking for something. Don't or tell me what to do, or tell me what not to do, instead of, what can I do? Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And... Uh, Verse 10. The writer says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and love which you have shown towards his name and have you ministered and are still ministering to the saints. That's not a main point I'm going to make. I just want to make it as I'm passing by. What, what this does not mean is that you can just keep doing what you're doing now even though you've done some good things before. If it's wrong. Okay? What he is saying there is that this is giving us a picture. He's giving us a picture of what type of God we are serving. See, see, God is, is not so unjust to forget your love that you had. 
He's not unjust to, okay, yeah, you, you've uh, done some things, and maybe as in, in the case here, they were, they were going back. They were, they were sliding backwards a little bit. And he's saying, God's not unjust to forget what you have done. So just, just keep, keep moving. You repent and move forward and keep moving forward and growing. That's what he said he's communicating here. In verse 11, he says, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. We must move past elementary teachings to have assurance, to have the full assurance. Verse 13, uh, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, in verse 19, it says, Since therefore, brethren, we have the confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Hebrews 10 says the full assurance of the faith Hebrews 6 says the full assurance of hope. Hope and faith have to be together. And I think Kirk brought that out. This is the only place I have to go that I have to question if you're talking to me or to someone else in the seminary. But Mr. Park said, said that, that hope and faith, hope is the expectation. And hope and faith are connected. You cannot have hope if you don't have faith. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. Now, in verse 11, or verse 12, it, it talks about those, those, the imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Faith and patience. Sometimes we get the idea and in our mind that, that in order, if, if we don't receive something right now, maybe we're doing something wrong. Or, and, or maybe, we're, maybe we need to, maybe God's not listening to us. And God is developing character through patience. <laughs> Faith and patience. Abraham didn't receive, didn't see the promise. He didn't, re, he didn't receive while he was on earth. And that's the in Hebrews thirteen or Hebrews uh, six thirteen. We'll continue on there. It talks about Abraham. It says, "For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you.' And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them." An oath was given as confirmation uh, and end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of his promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, in order that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have a strong we may have strong encouragement, we who have fled for refuge and laying hold of the hopes set before us. We're going to go back and look at Abraham here in a second, but I want to point out a couple things in verse 17. God desiring. Okay, that's the same Greek word used in first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, God is not slow in his coming. He is patient, not wishing, not wishing anyone to perish. The word wishing there is the same Greek word. Okay? God is desiring here. He's desiring to show us the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. Because he doesn't change his mind, he's making a promise. So that, or in order that, by two unchangeable things, we who have fled for refuge, uh, we who have strong encouragement, 
had strong encouragement who have fled for refuge and laying hold of that was set before us. It's important to understand that God's purpose is not going to change. And God, when he promises, he is going to keep that. Because God is not going to lie. God cannot lie. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. So when we're, we're talking about hope, that's, that's very important that, that we need to understand that God is not going to change just because it, okay, yeah, say we, we slip up. That's, that's the most part when we, when we start doubting something happened that maybe we, maybe we messed up or made some mistakes and God is not going to change his purpose just because we messed up. He is still going to be the loving God. He's not like the gods of the world. He's not like the God in, in, that the Athens believe in that, well, that is all that is un, that unchanged, that, that, the unknown God makes sure you don't make sure you don't make anybody mad. Okay, uh, let's go back to Genesis chapter fifteen. Uh, we see that uh, God's promising in the first five verses here that promising to Abraham that he or to Abram at the time he is going to uh, his offspring is going to be as the stars of the sky uh, and as as the sand of the sea. Uh, in verse six he says, and then Abraham believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The Hebrew word for believe is amen. That's the Hebrew word believe, for believe. Amen. Which in the Greek is amen, which we say this a lot in agreement when someone says something. So Abraham is not just believing as the world is thinking to believe. Abraham is agreeing with God. He's not just saying, yeah, I believe you. He is like he is defending that God will keep his promise. He is confirming the word means to confirm or to support. Okay, we get that we hear the word believe as to so watered down in our in our culture that we miss what the true meaning of believing is. Abraham is confirming and supporting what God is saying. He is confident because God does not change. God is cannot lie that God made a promise. Let's go let's look ahead to, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Starting verse 1. It says, And what shall we say that, Ab uh, that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but uh, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does the work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, has faith, is his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteous apart from the works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds have been forgiven, and the sins of those who are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin will not the Lord will not take into account. It is a blessing. Is, is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised? Also, for we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While well, he is circumcised or uncircumcised? Not well circumcised, but well uncircumcised. And when we see the word works here. He is not talking about uh, 
an action, okay, as some would call immersion as a, as, a, as a work, okay, even though it's not. He is talking about the law here. Abraham, outside of the law, received a promise from God, and Abraham agreed, supported, believed God, confirmed what God was saying, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness apart from the law. Turn back to Exodus chapter 19. I promise this is all going to tie together. Exodus 19. Now God brought the Israelites out of Egypt here by this time and through the Red Sea. And in verse 5 of Exodus 19, it says, Now then, if we indeed obey, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Why am I reading this up? Let's think about it for a second here. Uh, the word obey actually is not, a very, it's not a good translation. The word obey, the Hebrew word, means to hear. And if we understand what hearing, true hearing is, that's going to lead to obedience. Okay? But it's important that we understand this, I think, because, because the word hear, to me anyway, says faith. The word obey says law. Now, I'm not saying that we don't obey God, but we first have to hear it and willingly want to do it. Not be, not, we don't, not, it's not just we don't do it because we have to. We have to willingly want to do it. Now, one thing I want to point out here in verse 6, uh, he says, you'll be a kingdom of priests to me. Now, I'm not going to get into uh, a lot of stuff about uh, people, how people take this wrong, but I've heard uh, through even, even some amongst our, our uh those who we would, we would consider brothers, um, call it, they say that, that the Israelites here were promised to be a kingdom of priests, and then after the golden calf, then God made only the Levites. And there's a problem with that, is if you keep reading verse 29, chapter 29, verse 9, God specifically designates Aaron's sons and Levites as priests. And it's not until chapter 32 that the golden calf comes. So what is God saying here then? God is saying, if you will hear my word and keep my covenant, you're going to have the faith that it takes to be a kingdom of priests, not according to the law, but have a faith like Abraham had, and agrees and confirms and supports what God says. Right. They didn't have that because you see, 13 chapters later, Moses is gone for a little while, and they're like, where is this Moses at? Make us a golden calf. They didn't have the faith. They were looking at it through a, a command and a law legal system. They weren't looking at it through faith. They didn't have any hope. Moses is gone for a little while. Where is this Moses at? God is talking to them. He's not talking about the physical nation. He is saying, those who will hear my words and obey my covenant, keep my covenant, they are going to be a kingdom of priests to me, which is fulfilled in the church, but he's promising that to the Israelites who actually have faith in him instead of just believing, or instead of just obeying because it's what they do according to the law. Turn ahead to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. 
Now, Jesus talked a lot in parables. And in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 13, look at, listen to the language here. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You keep on hearing, but you do not understand. You keep on seeing, but you do not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their eyes are, are, are they scare, with their ears they scarcely hear. And with, they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, that I should heal them. Jesus wasn't talking to a bunch of deaf people here. They heard, but they didn't hear. Just like the Israelites, they heard what God said, they even saw what God did to Egypt. But they didn't hear. They obeyed out of obligation and out of fear and not a righteous fear. They looked like, well, aren't they God's people? And they, want, they really want to do what God wanted them to do. I mean, until they didn't want to do it. They didn't have hope because they didn't have faith. Now, um, I'm going to kind of tell a little bit of, of some sort of story about me here. Uh, I'm going to try and get it kind of all right, or kind of all in line. Um, so, about, uh, when I was about 21, um, me and I have been married for a couple years, and uh, we've been talking about some things, and uh, I came home one day from work, and, and uh, she said, we need to talk, and we had kind of been talking about our emergence. And so, uh, long story short, just for the sake of time, uh, we both got immersed that day. And uh, so, fast forward to 2020, um, I uh, had a surgery, and it uh, really messed with my emotions a lot. By about, from the end of 2020, uh, December, uh, into January a little bit, um, I probably cried like 70 times in like 35 days. And it wasn't just like little crying, and it wasn't something that was normal for me to, to do. But during that time, um, I remember waking up one night, and uh, uh, I was scared. And so, um, I called you know, some, some guys, not all that night, but I talked to a few different guys, uh, some trusted brothers and everything, um, and... Um, one in the back there is one of them. Uh, but I uh, I was questioning, I was that, now when I, I want to kind of make this, I, I, I'm telling my story and how it applies to me and what I'm going through. It doesn't necessarily mean that this is something you need to start worrying about necessarily, okay? But I was questioning my immersion, okay? Now that doesn't mean that, that I necessarily was wrong when I got immersed or had the wrong idea. But at the time, there had been some doubt. Okay? The devil, the three D's of the devil, right? Doubt. Okay, so, so I was kind of have, so I go through and I, and I kind of, I kind of really was legalizing it out. I heard, I believed, I repented, I confessed, and I was immersed. And uh, I can't remember who exactly said it. Um, I want to say it was Mike Ferguson. Uh, He's, he's a real close friend of mine. 
And um, he said, uh, maybe you need to have faith. Instead of viewing it like a law, maybe you need to have faith. Because no matter how many times you go through it and you start having some doubt, if you're viewing it like a law, you're not going to be, you're not going to have hope. But if you're trusting God, that God is actually, God is not going to change. Just because some you messed up or did something wrong, God's not going to forget what has happened before. And I, I'm, see, I'm trying to think, probably seven years into preaching at this point. So that pressure is like, how, you know, people ask me these questions. How come I'm having the questions? And I, and I was viewing it more like a law. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that my immersion was wrong. But I, I started losing track of and, and looking for, for things that are uh, maybe even just, uh, maybe, maybe even boasting. And not really boasting, but like having that idea that, okay, I've done this, I've done this, and done this, I'm fine, instead of trusting what God did through it. Yep. See, the scripture doesn't have eternal life, but what God does to because of what, or who he whom the scripture writes about, that's how we have eternal life. That's right. It's not because we're we're immersed and we take Lord's Supper. It's because what God did in immersion, and I got that what God does through Lord's Supper. And other things too. It's not because we say prayers all the time, it's what God does through the prayer. That's right. Faith in the operation yeah. of God. Amen. <laughs> so uh in between, before that, um, we, uh, it, it should be 10 years this fall, um, kind of backing up a little bit here, we had uh, split off from that congregation in Glendive, Church of Christ in Glendive, and um, we, uh, you know, me and, and the, it was kind of a Mark's situation, Mark's other situation, really, uh, it wasn't here with me, it was, I taught the class, that other guy taught the sermon, and it was my teaching, and then he would just preach against it in the sermon, and it, was, it wasn't a very good situation. We eventually left. Um, and so, that, that guy, um, I would probably have considered him a, a mentor when I was young. And so, see, it's, it's not so much when, when, when you, you break off and from somewhere, from, from a group of people, and you uh, you uh, it's not as worried because they're they're still alive, and so the what I'm trying to say is is that it didn't affect me much that uh, that we disagreed on how I felt about how what I thought and what I believed. It really comes like if 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 a mentor were to die, now you're faced with was I right? Was he right? So, uh, about a month ago, not quite a month ago, me uh, and I attended this week.
we attended his funeral. And um, I always thought, like, how would that, you know, I got to thinking, how come it's not really, how does that affect me? You know, because it's, it's not that, uh, I mean, I wasn't, I was close with, with them some. I wasn't, like, super, super close after a while. But you think of, so how that, how that affect you um, when you're faced with the fact if you are right, that person's wrong, and that person's not heaven? Um, and I'm going to you know, tell you why on the scale of 1 to 10 and why I don't think I'm wrong with having the feeling this way. On a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how that, how that affected me uh, whether there's any doubt or anything, uh, whether I was right, how that affected me on a scale of one to ten was zero. And I don't think that was wrong. That doesn't mean that I'm not sad. It means that I don't think I was wrong. And the reason that I think that I was able to have that mentality, that mindset, was because I didn't view it through law. I need it through faith. Because if it's if it's law, because there could be there we can turn what we even what we even believe into law. We can say we can be perfect and, and, and not sin, and we can make that a law through the flesh as something to boast about. But I it didn't affect me because I, I didn't it didn't affect what I thought, what, uh, me taking that stand. It didn't affect how I felt about taking that stand. It doesn't mean I'm not sad about it. It stinks. I sure hope that he was repenting. But I went to the funeral and there was a ton of law. ton of law. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I got eight minutes left, by the way. Just so everybody knows. First Peter chapter two. Verse twenty-one. It says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, uh, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, but while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. When Jesus was faced with death, and this is kind of where the idea of, of hope, it's really easy to say we have hope when it's easy. It's not easy to say, not as easy to say you have hope when it's hard. Jesus facing death trusted God. Because the hope wasn't in that he always kept the Sabbath, that he always was at every feast, that he never sinned in the flesh necessarily. He wasn't like in boasting in the flesh. His hope was in that God was going to bring him through because he trusted that God was going to bring him through and God keeps his promises. 
Go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hopeful, sure, and steadfast, in which and, 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 and the one who enters, which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In 2017, um, uh, my grandpa, a faithful, faithful man in the Lord, um, he, uh, he was... He had, I can't remember what I think was the uh, fibrosis or something but the lungs. It was some kind of lung disease. He really breathed hard. It was really, really hard for him to breathe. And um, so uh, it was a, a Sunday, Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon after assembly. He didn't make the assembly that, that day. He wasn't doing very good that morning. Um, my mom and dad were in Helena. Uh, like the state capital, my dad was a state senator and the legislature and the session was in. So my brother and I uh, stayed with Grandpa for a while um, at his house after uh, um, that's after assembly Sunday, uh, quite a bit of time really, after basically after assembly to late at night. And Grandpa went and got in bed and you know just took the rest and and um, uh, Mike and Amy Ferguson were driving back by him and why they were driving by, um, but driving through back to Holston. And so they stopped in, um, Grandpa was sleeping, and I heard this thud, and um, and Grandpa had fell, fallen out of bed. He got confused, and that's kind of kind of normal uh, for that to, to be confused in the state sometimes. But he wasn't like out of his mind, but he was uh, he was confused, and there were some things going on. So he he got back, uh, we got back in the bed, and uh, Mike was by the bed, and Kyle and I, and then he was there too, and. So my grandpa asked Mike to pray, pray for him. And uh, and Mike after um, after Mike prayed, um, never forget what my grandpa said. He said, uh, um, "Say they'll go our way now." Um. The next day, Cal uh, and I, my brother, were with him for a few hours, and it was pretty cool to be with him, and he actually passed away that night. Um, before I finished telling that, back back up a few years, he had got shoulder surgery, and so he had to do these exercises uh, to, to keep the shoulder going out, and he would stretch his arm up like this, you know, to work that shoulder. And he would make it this space like written through you. He had to hold it and had to hold it and had to hold it because it was it was hurting and he was pushing the limits and he just had to keep holding it to keep keep pushing so he could get through to get healed. Um, so the day that, that uh, he passed, we uh, Kyle and I were there for probably from about three, three, three and a half hours, and we had a meeting that night, and so we uh, our uncle was coming over, uh, our aunt's husband, and um, uh, Grandpa, we, we were in the other room, and Grandpa had fallen over, and um, 
He got him back up in his chair, probably with some kind of heart attack or something. Um, and uh, after he passed, uh, I, my aunt had come and she had asked kind of what, what was the deal. And, um, and so we, I told him, you know, kind of, kind of, was, when, when he, watching him die and looking him in the face, um, he kind of was, uh, he was making a, a face and I told her about it and said, well, he was probably scared. And um, I got to thinking about it after a while and it made me mad because she was one who uh, didn't care about the truth and she kind of despised my grandpa for it. And I was thinking about the, the, the face he made and um, I told this to him because I was able to appreciate his funeral and I told us that story at the funeral and um, he didn't have a face of fear. He had the face that was just like when he was stretching out his arm. Gotta get through this. Gotta get through this. So as I'm kind of going through, you know, some of my doubt that I had, and even thinking, reflecting back on that, what what do I have to do to have a faith and a hope? Like my grandpa did, staring death in the face. That hope as an anchor doesn't come through the law. It only comes through faith. If it was just the law, then you're always questioning whether you did it right. Was I, was I immersed correctly? Was I all the way under when I was immersed? Was I immersed by a Christian even That's not even necessary, but that's a different topic we can talk about after. <laughs> but, but, you, but under that, that mindset, though, I can't tell who the person who immersed me, whether they were a Christian or not. I can't read the heart. So you're going on law, you can't have confidence and hope and expectation because it's always questioning. In order to have a faith that stares death right in the face and get through, in order to have a hope, I should say, it has to be built on faith. It cannot be built on law. Thank you. Ooh.